Good morning. It's uh, good to be back with you guys this morning. Um, so this morning, I'd like to talk about godly fear. Um, but before we talk about godly fear, of question, has anybody ever not had a moment where they were afraid? I'll take it by the laughing that at some point everybody here has felt some sort of fear. And maybe you'll identify with a few of these. These are, um, according to selfhelpcollective.com, these are the um, top ten most common fears, okay? So so we'll do this um, like late show style. Number ten, right? Fear of commitment, okay? Number ten. Number nine, fear of spiders, Depending on how big they are, probably plays a factor too. Number eight, fear of rejection. Number seven, fear of failure. Number six, fear of death. Number five, fear of intimacy. Number four, fear of the dark. Some of us never grow out of that one, as I know. And uh, number three, fear of heights. Number two, Fear of public speaking, which I must say is a little heightened for me at the moment. And number one, fear of flying. So, some of you may be able to identify with that and be like, yeah, I fit in with that. What I found interesting about the top ten was that some are actual objects, right? Like spiders or uh, like being in an airplane, flying, fear of heights. You know, these are things that are like situational, they're external in a sense, right? It's an external fear. But then some of them are also a fear of a feeling or a fear of um, more of an internal, like failure, fear of commitment, which I'm glad I didn't see any women like elbowing the guy next to him, you know, fear of commitment, where's yours, you know? So, but it's interesting, right? Because we can have a fear to something that is very physical, but we can also have a fear to something that is is more of an internal, it's more of a feeling, right? Like, I I don't want to, I don't want to fail, right? And, and I don't want to have a, a fear of failing. And so if I do have a fear of failure, oftentimes what happens is we end up compensating, right? So we'll, we'll become um, overzealous in, in our achievements. We become maybe what you call perfectionists, right? So those are common fears. And I think we can all identify with that. We can all identify with a fear that we have or a fear that we've experienced. I'm sure all of us driving has had moments where it's been quite intense moment of fear where, you know, you see a car coming at you or someone swerves or something like that. You know, like fear is a a natural response. And so when we think about the definition of fear, right, we understand that it is an emotion induced by a perceived threat, real or imagined. And that, I think, is a key part because, okay, yeah, it's, it's a perceived threat. That makes sense. But it's real or imagined. So even though the threat might not actually be there, we still have the capability of responding as if there's, there's a threat out there. Now, if you're not the person, right, who is having a perceived threat to something that is imaginative, it can probably be a pretty funny moment. Um, but... For the person who is actually experiencing the fear, it can be pretty intense. I think the fear of the Lord kind of falls into this category as well, right? The fear of the Lord is a very real feeling. 
I mean, we look at scripture and you see people coming before the presence of the Lord and even coming before the presence of a messenger like an angel. And there is a physical fear response, right? They're terrified. But there's also this sense where the fear of the Lord plays on our imagination. And I think even maybe more so for us today because we don't necessarily have angels appearing to us as often or in my life ever um, (laughs) as they did in scriptures, you know. And so for us, I think that it really does play on our imagination. And so I challenge you to think imaginatively this morning about what it means for you to fear the Lord. Fear is also a basic survival instinct, right? It's something that's innate in all of us. The uh, other day, Quinn and Christina were grocery shopping. And, you know, it's so neat to have um, a little kid and watch them discover new things, you know. And so they were, they were grocery shopping. And for some reason, I don't know what it was about that particular day, but Quinn was just, I think, a little more cautious than usual. And so they're, they're going along, and they're in the cereal aisle, and there's this um, woman there, and she, you know, sees Quinn and is like, oh, you're so cute. And, and they starts talking about him and all this stuff. Well, there was something about her that just kind of made him cautious. We don't know what it was. I mean, to us, she looked pretty normal, and she looked fine, but... Maybe just the sense that she was a stranger or something. There was something about her. So he did not take his eyes off of her. He watched her. And Christina and the woman got done talking, and they kind of were looking at their things. Well, the woman then wanted to know more. I think she wanted to know when his birthday was. And so she turned around, and she started to reach for Christina and tap her on the back. Well, you would have thought this woman was, like, going to murder Christina because Quinn just screamed. And started to cry. And, and, um, and so Christina's standing there. And she's like trying to comfort Quinn. And the woman feels so bad that she made this poor kid cry. And so Christina's you know, trying to manage the situation. But he was so engrossed with, with fear in that moment. That she actually had to leave the aisle. Take him out of the, the shopping cart. And carry him around. And so fear, right, is something that we experience even at the young age. And for Quinn, you know, it was probably even sooner, but like at at 10 months, you know, there was, it wasn't like he was startled, you know, and got afraid. Like he felt fear in that moment. And so it's this, this survival instinct. It's, it's a part of who we are and we all have it in us. And I think that's probably why none of us can say we have never felt fear, right? Because it has been there. So this morning, probably one of the best places to look at what godly fear looks like or what godly fear is is in proverbs chapter one so if you have your bibles and you want to turn there great if not you can follow along and we're going to read verses one through seven of chapter one and this really serves as the introduction to the whole book of proverbs But this morning, we're also going to use this as an introduction to understanding what the fear of God is in our lives today. So if you join with me, it says, These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. The purpose of these Proverbs is to teach people wisdom and discipline and to help them understand wise sayings. Through these Proverbs, 
people will receive instruction and discipline, good conduct, and doing what is right, just, and fair. These proverbs will make the simple-minded clever. They will give knowledge and purpose to young people. Let those who are wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. And let those who understand receive guidance by exploring the depth of meaning in these proverbs, parables, wise sayings, and riddles. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Only fools despise wisdom and discipline. And so he's setting the stage, right? He's kind of given us a foundation to understand as we continue to read through the Proverbs. And if you continue to read through the Proverbs, you'll, you'll get a, a wealth of knowledge, right? A lot of sayings come from the book of Proverbs. But let's look back at verse 2. Because it's, Solomon was really great in this sense in that like he really spells out, keeps it pretty simple, the basic understanding, the purpose of, of the Proverbs. And he says, the purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline. And it's to help with our understanding. Keep going, it says in verse 4, the Proverbs will make simple, the simple-minded clever and it will give knowledge and purpose to the young now he's probably referring to age here but i think there's probably also a correlation to spiritually young you know if we are new in our faith are new in our relationship with god there's probably a level here too that you'll be able to grow in knowledge and wisdom in our relationship with god so we get through the first six verses of this intro right and we see that You know, God wants to develop knowledge. He wants to develop wisdom and purpose. And these are all great things that we can learn through reading the Proverbs. But verse 7, he kind of says, but before we even get there, before we even start to pursue wisdom, you have to understand that it starts with the fear of the Lord. And he says it's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge. And that's where we need to begin, right? Wherever we are at, we need to make sure that our understanding of him begins with fear of the Lord. Now, if you remember, we talked about fear in the terms of the real and the imaginative, right? So if we truly fear God, what does that look like in the real sense, right? If we need to start with the fear of God, is it an emotion? Is it something physical that we do? Some of you may have had moments, right, where we have actually felt a sense of fear around who God is. And we could probably think of why we should fear God, right? God is a great and awesome God. He is powerful. We read stories such as Noah and the flood, right? That is um, a huge event where he floods the world. Any God who does that deserves to be feared. But does it still evoke an emotional response in us? I was thinking about this for myself. I was like, do I really have an emotional fear towards God where I am 
in some sense afraid to approach him. And that's hard for me because you think of like, well, I know that like I have a fear of other things. I was telling Josh and Tim that as a little kid, I was terrified of mice, you know, um, it seems pretty ridiculous. But um, when I was three, I stayed up with my dad. I thought I'd be a big boy and catch this mouse in our house. And um, the mouse, we saw it and we jumped up from our chairs and my dad Ran after it across the living room with the, um, I think he had a broom or something trying to, you know, smack it. Well, this mouse went under the couch. So my dad flips up the couch, knocks over the lamp behind the couch, and it goes, just shatters everywhere, and the mouse is gone. Well, at three years old, I didn't really have the knowledge to understand that it probably, like, went through a hole in the wall or through a crack in the door or whatever, you know. I just thought the mouse disappeared. And I was like... This is a crazy Houdini mouse. Uh Uh-uh, not happening. (laughs) And got somehow learned this fear, you know? And so when I think about, okay, in that moment, how afraid I was of of a mouse, does that translate to God? Not really, you know? Not so much. But Scripture shows us how we respond if we are in the presence of God, right? If we actually experience God, that real physical feeling of fear will come. If you have your Bibles and want to turn, uh, I just want to illustrate this by looking at um, Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, um, this is the Ten Commandments. So Moses is on Mount Sinai, and he has established a boundary around the base of the mountain. And he has informed the Israelite nation who had just left Egypt that they cannot cross that line. Because if they do, they will surely die. And they had just spent two or three days going through purification. So they they were not allowed to gauge in any... um, sexual relations with their spouse they were not able to eat certain foods and they had to go through this purification process even for the for the lord god to show up on the mountain and be prepared right so they went through their ceremonial um cleansings and god shows up and moses goes up the mountain and he gets the ten commandments he communes with god and i want to pick it up in verse 18 when he's coming back down to the people right And he says, verse 18, he says, When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the horn, and when they saw the lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. See that? They were trembling. There was a physical response to the presence of God being in there at that moment. And they said to Moses, You tell us what God says, and we will listen. But don't let God speak directly to us if he does We will die. And there's this fear because they recognize, holy cow, right? Like if there is this God who is descending upon this mountain in this cloud and there is lightning and there is thunder and he is speaking at a level that we all can hear him. There's this awesome moment and they are saying, no, thank you. No, I can't do it, right? And they they almost cower at his presence, and they say, Moses, you go. 
because we can't. And you can speak to us, but don't let him talk because we cannot bear to hear him speak to us. Because the reality is that when we are in that moment, right, when we are actually standing in the presence of God, we begin to realize how holy he is, how righteous of a God he is. It's like light in the darkness. His presence illuminates our lives and it begins to reveal to us how dull our light can be sometimes. And when you are standing in front of the the awesomeness and the glory of God, and you are overwhelmed by his light, How can you say, I can, I can hear him? How, how can we say that we are worthy of receiving his words, of, of even being in his presence? Because if he truly is a righteous God, and I truly am a sinner, he has no choice but to end my life. Because I'm coming before him broken. I'm coming before him unholy. And so the people of Israel, they're, they're like, no, we can't do it. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the only part of fear of the Lord. That's our initial response, right? Our initial response is going to be that we can't stand in front of God. We can't be there. But Moses says something pretty ironic to his people. So they say, you know, don't let God to speak, speak to us, because if they do, we will surely die. And Moses says, don't be afraid. Now, if I was one of them, I would be like, okay, Moses has lost it. Like... Don't be afraid of this massive cloud and lightning and thunder on a, that is encompassing a huge mountain. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. But what does he say? He says, for God has come in this way to show you his awesome power. From now on, let your fear of him keep you from sinning. It says, as the people stood in the distance, Moses entered into the deep darkness where God was. See, fear can be a motivating factor or it can be a demotivating factor. If we think of, of fear as a survival instinct, right? A lot of times it's, it's flight or fight, right? So you might have rounded the corner and round, ran into somebody real quick and either you turned and went the other way or maybe you put up your fist, you know, you're like, you're ready because it startles you, right? There's this fear or flight response. Well, I would like to propose that there's actually three responses. Fear Fear induces a flight, fight, or freeze response. And, and I've, I've looked at my life and life of other individuals, and I think it, it holds true. And I'm really diamond out my wife a lot today, but that's okay. Her and her sister were at their house one day, 
And one was in their parents' bedroom, and one was coming up the steps. And the lights were out at the top. It was evening, and so it was, it was pretty dark. So Gina, if you know her, she was coming up the steps, and they rounded the corner at the top of the steps at the exact same time. And immediately their survival instincts kicked in. Gina just crumpled to the floor, and Christina started running around like, like a nut in a circle, being like, ah, you know, like you can't catch me kind of like fear-induced reaction, which I don't know where that comes from, but if you know her, you know it probably makes sense. Um, and so for her, she just froze, and she just, she just collapsed, right? And, and we look at Scripture, and I think we have that same response. I mean, look at Joshua when he is um, approaching Jericho, and he is confronted with um, an angel of the Lord. And what does he do? He gets on his knees, and he falls prostrate in front of the angel. Look at Joseph when the angel of the Lord comes to him, you know, and tells him, look, you're going to be the father of Jesus Christ, you know, and to accept Mary despite the fact that she is pregnant, you know. Um, and he, what does he do? He, he falls in reverence. And Mary, when the angel appears to her, and in every instance, the angel of the Lord says, do not be afraid, right? Because it doesn't want them to, to not hear, to not know what God is asking of them. It wants them to be motivated to continue to walk in the light and the path that God is setting for them. And so the fear of the Lord is, is not meant to be demotivating. It's not meant to hold us back or to, to keep us in our box of, of whatever feeling that may be there, whatever, like shame or feeling of unworthiness or feeling like a sinner. Like we're not meant to stay in that box. We're meant to be motivated to engage God. We're meant to be motivated to get to know God. And like Proverbs says, it starts with the fear of the Lord. To know him, we need to fear him. So, so now we understand, right? The fear of the Lord is a motivating factor. The fear of the Lord is a physical response. When we are confronted with his presence, we are not in control. We fall in submission. We fall in a reverence and in awe of his awesome power. But fear is a motivating factor as well. Last Sunday was Easter. And Tim spoke to us about the disciples, right? And how they engaged the resurrection. And I want to bring us back to that moment, to that story. Because we can't understand the fear of God unless we understand Christ's death and resurrection. If we look at the disciples, the night they were in the garden, and the Romans, they come to arrest Jesus. By the end of that moment, all the disciples have fled. They had fled because their fear was not of God in that moment. Their fear was of being arrested themselves, being tortured themselves, being put to death themselves. And that's how they responded. And the reality is, that's probably how we respond in a lot of moments ourselves. 
I can think of plenty of times, probably more than I want to admit, where I allow peer pressure, I allow culture, I allow my lack of knowledge of something to keep me from engaging what God has called me to do. Because in that moment, my fear of how others will perceive me, maybe my fear of failure, my fear of, ex- of being accepted, becomes greater than my fear of the Lord. And the disciples, right, they respond after Christ's death on the cross by doing what? Yeah, they run away and they hide. And in in chapter uh, 20 of the book of John, verse 19, it says, That evening on the first day of the week, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. (laughs) Right there it is. They were behind locked doors. Their fear of the Jewish leaders was so great that they didn't even leave the building. They locked the door and they stayed right there. But it goes on to say, suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. He said, peace be with you. As he spoke, he held out his hands for them to see and he showed them his side. He is risen. And he reveals himself to his disciples. And here they are. They are cowering in a room afraid of death at the hands of another man. And their rabbi, their teacher, shows up in that room, having conquered the very thing that they are fearing. He has conquered death, and they are stuck in this room fearing their own death at the hands of men. If we truly fear God, then how much more does God have control of what happens to our lives than someone else? If we walk in the fear of the Lord, then it doesn't matter the other circumstances that come into our life. It doesn't matter those other fears because they all pale in comparison to the fear of the Lord. He has died and he has rose again. He has overcome anything that can prohibit us from walking in his light. And I don't know if the disciples fully understand in this moment, but if you keep reading, it says they were filled with joy when they saw their Lord. And he spoke to them again and said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I send you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you refuse to forgive them, they are unforgiven. They are filled with joy at the sight of their Lord. See, fear may result in a physical, terrified response. But fear should continue with an excitement, with a joy, with a reverence of who God is in our life. 
It puts us in a perspective of recognizing that if God calls us to something, he is the one to be feared and we should follow him. We should walk in his light because he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And nothing is outside of his control. And if we keep that perspective and we grow in our understanding and our knowledge of him, we recognize that really all that happens is that we get to know him deeper. We get to know him better. We begin to walk a little bit straighter in our path. If you look at fear through the Psalms, it talks about the blessings that come to those who fear the Lord. Often we think fear as a negative thing, right? We don't want to fear that. We don't want to fear this. But with God, if we fear him, he will listen to us. If we fear him, he will love us. If we fear him, he will have compassion upon us. If we fear him, we will be blessed. And so the fear of the Lord is meant to be a desire. It's a desire that draws us into a knowledge of who he is. I love that idea that when we fear him, that there's a sense of of joy. There's this sense of knowing God, of knowing Him. Jumping back to Exodus. God says, I am. He is. And that's what we need to know. That's what we need to keep in our hearts, is knowing That he is the great I am. Would you pray with me?